put on this computer. All right, guys, I am here with an old friend of mine, old colleague oh. of mine, Pete Helfrich. Now, Pete and I served on the College of Paramedics together. Pete's a, a, an old balls paramedic like me. We've been in the trenches a long time. Uh, we've served uh, served our, our uh, profession together. And uh, Pete has, you know, one, one of the things I love about Pete is that he's done a great job for our profession. Uh, as president of the College of Paramedics, he sorted out the governance structure um, on, on the college. He got a lot, got our, our ducks in a row, got our ship in order. I don't know if those are the right analogies, probably the wrong analogies, but he did a great job. And one of the things I really appreciated about Pete was uh, his willingness to engage in difficult conversations. In fact, he he really believed in uh, constructive conflict, let's say. If we have a disagreement, let's talk about it in a civil way and hash things out and try to come to some kind of agreement or, or some uh, agreement that allowed us to move forward. And so in that spirit, I invited Pete on my podcast because we seem to have a disagreement about uh, vaccine mandates and, and different things like that. And, you know, in, in Pete's great, um, I guess, in, in the plus column for Pete, you know, I, I do this quite often. I get a lot of people on social media call me out for for my uh, my opinion, and I often invite them on to my podcast to have a civil discussion with me to set me straight because I don't want to be wrong about things. I, I've been wrong about a lot of things in my life, but most of them all just disappear. They don't take me up on it, and they stop. You know, on the plus side, they stop harassing me. I guess not saying that Pete's been harassing me, but he's definitely expressed his disagreement on social media. And so I put out my standard, will you come on my podcast and let's have an adult discussion about this. And to Pete's great credit, he did. And I should have expected that because he's Pete and we served on the college and, and he's not afraid of having difficult conversations where we disagree. So Pete, with all that being said, welcome to the Liberty Experts podcast. I'm glad you glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that intro. That was great. And uh, those were, uh, Entertaining times uh, on the college there, so uh, it's uh, yeah, it's good, yeah. good learning, right? And and you, you just give us a little bit of your background, Pete. Like you, I, I'm assuming you're still out there in the in the trenches on the front line. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, still uh, uh, currently working uh, with AHS uh, as a, a paramedic uh, uh, in Calgary Metro, and um, I've had this is my 31st or my 32nd year as a you know registered uh, in the province here. Um, yeah, just live in Calgary, a couple of kids and and uh, the family here, and we're all kind of you know we've we've been really lucky. Nobody's been sick in uh, this last uh, you know almost two years now, and and the kids are thriving, and so that's a good thing. And uh, yeah, we're just kind of trudging through like the rest of us, uh, you know, hoping that this thing will end eventually one day. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, you and I served on the college for, well, I think we're there almost exactly the same. I think I was one year ahead of you and that's right. Yeah. So we were there for like the five or six years together and that was good. We always did have some entertaining discussions. So uh, we did. Yeah. I mean, one of the things about the college board was, you know, there were people from all different, um, walks of life, different political viewpoints and, um, you know, we all seem to be able to work together. So in that spirit, let's, uh, yeah. let's talk about where, w- what we disagree. So I've made some posts online I, and you seem to disagree with me. Where, where do you think our disagreement is? Um, well, I think sometimes it's just, uh, I have no problem with, uh, I mean, obviously I disagree with 
some of your opinions around the, the vaccine mandate and, and, and how to move forward. It's also just sometimes some of the rhetoric that I don't, uh, I just, I think the, the thing that I have, or the biggest problem I have with, with what's happening in society right now globally is simply this uh, inability, you, you have to entrench yourself on one side or the other. You're either pro or anti. And I think, uh, and, and I get it when you're trying to speak to a crowd, when you're trying to, you know, get people to, you know, let's do something about this, either if you're on the right or the left, it doesn't matter, then, you know, you have to use rhetoric to fire people up. And I just don't think that that's useful, though. Uh you know, uh, a, a, a friend at, at work, um, you know, as an example of, of how people just seem to entrench themselves on one side or the other, mm-hmm. uh, a friend at work uh, brought in a patient um, who had just had the vaccine 24 hours prior. And the guy was having a, I think it was a stroke. And I think the person actually died. And so the paramedic says to the eMERGE doc, you know, he just got his vaccine 24 hours before. And the eMERGE doc just got very upset about this. Well, that has nothing to do with this. How can you say no, that? Right. Don't even bring that up again. And I think that that kind of, that, that just doesn't help either. Uh, you know, right, right. it's very possible that the vaccine could have caused this. <laughs> why, right. why would we say otherwise? Uh, and I, And so I just think that, you know, that is not helping us as a society move forward with this as we continue to deal with this uh, with this problem. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, I've, I've received my fair share of the criticism with, um, I guess, the tone or the the uh, the language I use, especially in my speeches when I'm trying to fire up a crowd and yeah. trying to attract support uh, for a particular cause. Um, th- those are fair things. And, and look, I completely agree with you uh, here. This is a very polarizing issue. I'm glad you said that. Um, you, it's like they force you into one of two camps. You're either like a pro-science, which means you're also very pro-draconian lockdowns, um, or you're anti-vax and also a super nutter, right? Yeah. And, and those are the two camps that it seems like... Um, you know, binary thinkers want to push you into one of those two camps. Now, you know, I'm a perfect example of, I don't fit into either of those counts because, because I'm pretty pro a vaccine. Like I was one of the first adopters. I was pissed that I couldn't get it earlier. I wanted to be, you know, in the experimental treatment, I got a high risk tolerance. I, I believed in the, the uh, science and uh, behind the vaccine. And, and I wanted to be one of the first ones to get it. And I couldn't. So I was pissed on the other side of things, but I'm also very anti, um, you know, uh, restrictions on civil liberties and different things like that. I'm concerned about uh, how far the government's going with this. And so which camp do I fall into? And you know, you know what I mean? Um, Now, I guess, in my defense, um, here with with regards to the rhetoric I'm using, you know, I've got a number of colleagues who face dismissal, uh, face loss of their livelihood after decades of, of um, faithful service to their community and um, highly uh, valuable service to their community. I mean, these, these, a lot of these guys are who we look up to when we want to model how we want to be in terms of service to, to the public and their, their jobs are being threatened um, in their livelihoods. And in, in some cases, you know, there, there's been talk uh, among some in the group uh, about how they'd be better off not in this world. At least their their family would be looked after that way. Um, 
you know, I assume they're talking about life insurance and different things like that. So in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm not just fighting for, for my colleagues' livelihoods, I'm fighting for their lives. And, um, and in this particular case, um, you know, there is a pandemic going on. You and I would agree on that for sure. Um, you know, there are precautions that need to be taken. There are, uh, uh, things that need to be done that aren't within the norm of, um, you know, when we're not in a pandemic and, and so, you know, the argument I guess being made is that vaccine is one of those things. If you don't get vaxxed, you can't be part of this. Uh, but I think, in this case, we have alternatives, you know, we've been working for a year and a half with different safety measures in place that seem to have been fairly effective. I mean, we have pre-screening, we have uh, meticulous PPE wearing and donning and doffing. Um, I haven't heard of any cases of uh, healthcare workers spreading it to patients or, or to colleagues. And it, it may be the case that that's happened. And in addition to that, we also have uh, testing uh, now that's fairly readily available. And, and so these guys are willing to get tested regularly on top of all the already uh, fairly effective safety measures that have been in place for a year and a half. Um, and so, you know, to, to me here, in these particular cases, it seems like there ought to be the option to test. What do you think of that? Yeah, I got a few, uh, you know, I guess, you know, and I guess it's just all how you approach things, right? You refer to, you know, things as a draconian lockdown. And I, you know, I just, I if, if that's how people feel, then I think, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation. Sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to digress here a little bit. You know, it's, it's uh, my brother and I right now uh, aren't talking uh, because of what's going on here. And that bothers me a lot. Yeah. And uh, it all came out, it was about four months ago when we were coming into the fourth wave and it was getting really gnarly. Um, and that was also the time when people were really getting uh, in, you know, feeling strong about not getting vaccinated. And, and peers and people who I work with. And so there was like a lot of, it was really spicy at work for a while there. And then I got my, you know, and my brother not involved in healthcare at all, not really understanding what I'm experiencing is kind of sniping me with comments, you know, mm. and mm-hmm. it just got to a point where I was just like, ah, <laughs> I, I can't, you know, and I, you know, and we probably didn't have the best conversation uh, about it, but since then uh, we've stopped talking. And so I think, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to engage with you and I try and engage with people at work. And I know I surprised some people at work, you know, Scott Crawford, he was the fellow who ended up on the Western standard uh, uh, magazine there. Scott's very much opposed to the vaccine. And I think I surprised him uh, when I saw him in the hallway and I'm like, Scott, come on, sit down, let's chat. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really, I really want to try and understand why it is that people view it as a draconian lockdown. What, I mean, is it, is it really, does it really feel like something out of 1984? Uh, and, and, and if so, how, and that's what I, I think I'm trying to understand a little bit here. And I just want to, and again, to segue a little bit um, onto people who are, you know, potentially facing like losing their jobs, which I think was yesterday with AHS. I think you had to uh, declare uh, by yesterday. Right. Um, uh, I guess I, I really just need to try and understand because I don't think it's the science. 
I, people don't seem to really be interested in, in, in the research and the science. So I feel like it's got to be something more spiritual or, or emotional or, or, you know, there's something else there that's saying to them, no, I'm, I'm actually willing to lose my job over this, over getting a vaccine. And yeah. all of us, and you included, I'm sure, we all had to get vaccinated to go be paramedic students. Mm-hmm. You had to get vaccinated to get a job with AHS. If you wanted to go travel anywhere, I mean, I still have my yellow passport with my yellow fever. Uh, you had to get vaccinated. So I guess that's where I'm really struggling with some of, of this. And I'm really just trying to understand a little bit more. Yeah, well, uh, you know, look, we, we, I think this is a highly unusual, at least in our lifetime, for one thing, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. every, everywhere we go, we, we're got masked people. Uh, we've got, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got businesses being shut down. We've got yeah. livelihoods yeah. being, being yeah. ruined, uh, you know, yeah. so certainly those people um, are feeling the pinch oh, yeah. uh, of the, uh, of this. Um, you know, we got to show, now we have to show our QR codes everywhere we go. If we want to participate in society, um, yeah. there, there's two classes of citizen. There's those that have the QR codes who have been compliant. And then there's yeah. those who haven't. I mean, that feels a little bit apartheid-ish, you have to admit. I mean, certainly it's a choice uh, that people are making rather than an, an immutable characteristic yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So uh, I'll admit there's some differences. But I, I think that's where a lot of this is coming from. Our, our travel is restricted. We can't board a plane. We can't, you know, um, th- th- this is being ratcheted up constantly. And it started with two two weeks to flatten the curve, which a lot of people shrugged and said, okay, well, if that's what's needed to... And now, you know, we're into 18 months of, of this and, um, and people who question it, you know, just like you feel uncomfortable and rightfully so when people snipe at you and use kind of hyperbolic and dismissive rhetoric to refer to you probably in social media, I think is probably not a good place to, to talk about this for some of those reasons. No, um, you know, these people have been feeling it for 18 months. They question whether these lockdowns are necessary, whether these restrictions are necessary, and they get branded as as um, conspiracy theorists or or anti science deniers or you know all all these things. So I think for the past eighteen months, a lot of these people um, have been feeling just like you feel when you know people snipe at you. Um, it, it, they've been feeling that from and it's been all over the establishment media. You know, the unvaccinated are the, are the reason. Uh, we don't have our freedoms. The unvaccinated are the reason why there's a healthcare crisis. The, the unvaccinated are being blamed for for all the ills in society, and that that does not help them. Um, that does not help in terms of building bridges between these people and um, making them feel like yeah, yeah, they're still a valuable member of the society and they're still you know they're not being oppressed, right? So I think all these things play into it. Now, you know, some, some of these people, everyone has a different reason. Everyone in this group of people that I'm representing, for example, have various reasons for not wanting to get vaccinated. Some of them are reasons where if I were in their shoes, I'd probably be making the same decision. Others, I, I definitely wouldn't be making the same decision as them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them have uh, medical concerns. So for example, Brian yeah. has, you know, yeah. I hypo- got hypoxic rhabdomyolysis serving his community. Um, he's been recovering for a year and a half. He was looking forward to getting the vaccine. Um, but push pause on it because, you know, he is, he's suffering from neurological symptoms. He's 
chronically wiped out. Uh, he's just worried that getting the vaccine is going to wipe him out even more. It doesn't, you know, so he's yeah. taking precautions. He's staying yeah. uh, isolated. He's on modified work. He's not on any touching any patients. Um, and he's willing to get tested. And, you know, so, so Brian, if I were in his situation, I, I'd probably do the same thing. We had another guy who had myocarditis. He's like, I don't want to get vaccinated right now till I'm fully recovered from this. Um, seems reasonable. Another guy has a rare genetic disorder and there's the, the people like a one in a million thing. And the people in his, uh, support group who also have this disorder, like a third of them have gone blind or something from the vaccine. Now there's been no research around the, how the vaccine affects this particular genetic disorder. There's just these anecdotes, but there's enough anecdotes to raise concern and be like, you know, can I, can I hold off until there's more research in about how this is going to affect me personally? Yeah. Um, now there are other people who are, are very religious. I'm not religious, uh, but I come from an evangelical Christian background. So I have a little bit of insight in, into their mind. And, and I remember growing up, and hearing about end times and how there would be like this one world governance structure. And in order to participate in the economy, you would have to take this indelible mark that is irreversible. And in order to participate in the economy and that, that, um, that would kind of show your allegiance and compliance with this, this uh, evil regime and basically get you kicked out of heaven and not one of the elect. Now, I could see how those people would look at this. You've got a global, it seems like the nations around the world are operating in lockstep um, and, you know, they're being banned from participating in the economy. They can't have jobs. They can't go into a lot of places. Um, they can't travel. I, I could understand how that might prick their, their religious sensitivities about this. And, you know, when your immortal soul is on the line, I could understand why they'd be willing to lose their job and suffer um, to not, not, you know, lose who they are as a person and who they are as a soul or something like that. Yeah. So th those are some of the reasons. And, and ultimately, um, you know, while I don't understand some of the reasons why people aren't getting vaccines, um, what I really don't understand is, um, is the rationale behind some of these lockdowns and some of these mandates, right? Uh, that, that doesn't take into account uh, the individual. It doesn't take into account, into account all the other options available. Uh, you know, most, most municipal employers are allowing uh, testing as an option to vaccination. And uh, a lot of, you know, other big employers are as well. So uh, I guess I'm trying to wrap my head, just like you're trying to wrap your head around why people wouldn't want to get the vaccine. I'm, and I am too, you know, like before a lot of these things, a lot of the work I was doing was actually going into groups and, and, you know, gently challenging people on their anti-vax stance and saying, look, why don't you apply the same line of thinking, uh, that you have to the vaccine, which are all legitimate grievances, you know, spike proteins are a concern, um, inflammation, blood clots, all these things are legitimate concerns all these adverse reactions are legitimate concerns. Guess what? They're also all those same things you listed are also concerns with COVID and they're, they're, you know, so why not apply the same line of thinking to COVID? And so, you know, I was actually getting somewhere with that work until these people had their livelihoods threatened and, you know, their participation in society, uh, threatened. 
And now they're in a state of fear, panic, where there's no way you're going to be able to get through to these people uh, rationally uh, and understandably so. Their fight or flight response has kicked in and they're simply not going to move on this uh, until these these measures are lifted and they're looked at as autonomous individuals again (laughs) and adults again. And, And then they'll probably start thinking about it a little bit more closely. So, uh, you know, to me, it's like, just like you, you're wondering why these people aren't budging. I'm wondering why um, government and these uh, health authorities aren't budging on this and where, where they think they, you know, as a libertarian, obviously uh, where, where do they think they get the right? What, what makes them a special human that, that can impose this? I can't do this to my neighbor. I can't do this to other people if I win a popularity contest, do I suddenly get the the right to do that? You know, so th- those are some of the questions that come up for me on that side of it. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm... Uh, There's a lot, of, lot there. No, it's good, man. Uh, listen, you know, about social media, I, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg uh, created uh, Facebook because, uh, I mean, even if you look at the guy now, uh, he, he has, he had a, he'd have a hard time picking up a cockroach. Um, and so the, the reason that he created Facebook was so that he could get dates. And I think sure. for me, that's the sum value of Facebook. There is no other value in Facebook. Now, my wife would disagree with me because she says that, uh, you know, with the kids uh, uh, clothing and stuff like that, there's this great uh, group on there. It's like, you know, you, they swap clothes. It's awesome. Okay. Sure. Are you are you telling me that you won't upload your consciousness to the metaverse? Is that what I'm hearing? Like, I didn't want to go, want to go there. What somebody told me, what the, what is uh, meta in Hebrew? Oh, oh, I wish I could remember what it was. It's something really terrible or like, yeah, it just, it's really silly. Like they didn't think when, when they, you chose the word meta. Um, if you go through the different language, like I, I know in Hebrew and Greek, it, it, and uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. They didn't think about when they decided to pick that. So, so Facebook, I think, and Twitter as well too, right? You know, you only get whatever it is, 280 characters now. You, you, you can't have this kind of conversation about people's emotions, about their belief in, in a God, uh, uh, you know, about leadership. You can't have this conversation in 280 characters. I don't know how much, I don't care how long you take to, tweet with somebody you can't have a legitimate mature nuanced conversation and so i i really i think other than giving you the odd uh, snipe with a comment that you made i, I don't see the value this is the value you sure. and i sitting down trying to have these conversations yeah. sitting with friends in a hallway that's where uh we're going to solve this problem and not and and you know you talk about the mainstream media and, and like you got no argument with from me man like cnn fox they are both they, they both need to be bombed. There is no value in either one of those organizations. I don't see any point. And in fact, in a lot of the, the media right now, uh, I, I think it's really shocking how they both, again, they just played it and they're just trying to make money. I get it. It doesn't help society one bit, uh, either one of them. I think it's really shocking. And, and I think the other thing that's made this whole thing worse is just the fact that uh, you know, you talked about it being a popularity contest and it's, it's true. I mean, that's all elections are now. Uh, people want government to tell them what they want to hear. That's it. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, and that's not good governance, as you and I both know. <laughs> that's not good governance. Uh, and and so you know you've got just a complete failure of leadership right from the beginning, from Trudeau, from Kenny, from our municipal government leaders. Like it's just it's so sad because if you had had some real leaders in there, some people who understood governance, I think we wouldn't be here. It, and, and, I'm, and that's a big, you know, kind of like statement, but I truly believe that. I think if we had some legitimate uh, leadership, uh, I don't think we would, we would be where we're at. And, and then just that, you know, you talked about the exceptions to why they're not getting vaccinated. 100% agree. I don't have any argument there. I think it's a shame uh, that people who have legitimate medical concerns uh, are being forced to get the vaccine. I don't agree. They're such a small group of people. Like there's, you know, we're not, we're, we're talking a small group of people. How is it that we can't look at that and say, you know, like your one friend, the, the, the firefighter there, how, how can they not look at that and say, yeah, yeah, that's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll wait uh, and, until you feel like, I, I don't understand that. Um, you know, and then I guess the, you know, the, the problem with, I'm also not, I, I was not blessed with an ability to have faith and God. <laughs> so, uh, someone's got to fill up hell, Pete, I guess yeah. it's going to be you and me. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I guess I would just say, you know, the eyes, uh, the eyes see what the heart wants, you know? And so when they are looking at, you know, their bit of scripture, they're yeah. going to find what they want to find to support you know, cognitive dissonance, I think, plays a big part in some of, and, and maybe even on both sides, you know, and bias and filters. Um, For sure. You know, people wake up every morning and they're like, the COVID vaccine is going to save the world. The COVID vaccine is going to kill the world. And you go through the rest of your day trying to justify why you believe that. Um, right. and, and you find whatever it is you can find to support your here, here yeah, let me ask you this. Do you, do you think there's ever going to be, there's going to be a point where you say, okay, enough's <laughs> enough's enough, you know, like, is it fifth or sixth booster? Is it after you get COVID and recover? What do you think? Is there a point where you would disagree with say the health authorities over their, their latest mandate or something like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're both old enough, I think now to know that, I mean, you really can never say never. Like I would, you know, right. uh, you know, when I talk to a lot of uh, folks who are opposed to this, the, the, you know, the vaccine or the mandate, a lot of it for some of them comes down to, it's about choice. They all say, well, this should be my choice. Yeah. And I just really struggle with that. I think a little bit because I always kind of question back. I'm like, well, what is choice really? Like, right. you know, we could, you know, <laughs> we could take the red pill or the blue pill and, you know, go down the rabbit hole and talk about, you know, what's choice really. Um, sure. Because I think choice is a luxury. Uh, you know, it's a privilege to have choice because you, people are, are choosing to not get vaccinated because they know that there's a healthcare system that if they get sick, there's a healthcare system that's going to support them. And, and, sure. and so there the people who live in countries where, there is no healthcare system that has that capacity. They, they don't have the choice. And so getting vaccinated is, um, you know, they just do it because they don't want to get sick. It, it's so, I, I don't know. I don't think I answered your question there. 
yeah, yeah. I guess I was just wondering if 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 you had a line in the sand and what what it would be, right? Like, um, I'll give you an example for for myself. You know, I, I'm thinking. Okay, with my thoughts about the booster shot. Okay, like I'm I'm nine months post, uh, maybe not even ten months post uh, uh, vaccination, um, and I know for sure my immunity is likely waning. You know, I, I, from what I've seen on the data in Israel and different places, it seems like after about six months, the efficacy starts to wane on the vaccine and, um, you know, it doesn't do a good job at protect as good a job at protecting you from sickness. It seems like the, from the data I've seen, the vaccine isn't all that great at, at, at all, uh, one to three months after vaccination at stopping community spread. Um, so it, it seems to me like the vaccines fairly effective at stopping me from getting sick and hospitalized for at least six months. Um, but it starts to wane after that. Um, but it's, it's not all that great. Maybe at stopping community spread. I mean, in Iceland right now, for example, they have a 90% effect, uh, vaccination rate and their case rate right now is higher than it, than it's ever been. Um, but their death deaths and sickness are, very low as well. So yeah. it's effective at stopping that. So it seems like good as an individual protection, not so great at stopping spread, which is again, one of the reasons why I think it's unreasonable to expect people to, to use vaccination as like a workplace safety measure or something like that. It doesn't seem to be as safe, for example, as getting tested. Um, but um where was I going with this? So, oh, so my, my, my thinking with yeah. the vaccine is, is okay. I, I, I want, I'm going to, I'm thinking about getting an antibody test to see as approximate uh, way of, of looking yeah. to see how immune I am. Maybe yeah. I've been exposed to COVID and I've got high yeah. antibodies and different things yeah. like that. My antibody levels are high. I probably won't get the booster if they're low. Uh, I probably will. Um, and eventually when I get COVID, like I expect we all will eventually, um, I, I want to reserve the right to not get boosters ad infinitum for the rest of my life to yeah. maintain my career. So to me, that's kind of a line in the sand where, well, I, I, you know, honestly, I'd probably take a cyanide pill that gave me a 5% chance of death to keep my job. So, uh, you know, I, I'm really willing to, <laughs> yeah, what, well, I don't know. I, I, no, no, I mean, look, I'm, I'm just saying. I would take, if the risk of death was only 5%, I'd take it. I, I think the line in the sand would be like a 10% risk of death. I probably wouldn't take that. Yeah. But I, my point is I would do a lot to keep my job. I need my job. Without my job, uh, my chances of living are get substantially lower. So yeah. I'd, I'm willing to, to do, uh, to, to, uh, to uh, I guess, um, tolerate a lot of coercion, um, even dangerous coercion to keep my job. Other but, but I would, I would not be happy if there was a mandate saying that I have to get a shot that I really don't want um, because I've gotten and recovered from COVID because I've got high, nat, high provable immunity, yeah. all those things. And, and by the way, that, that describes a lot of the people in our group. They've gotten and recovered from COVID. They have high provable immunity and they're saying, why, why are you making me take this? Like, what, what's the point there? Even as low as the risk is with the shot, there are still some risks. And, um, you know, we, we can't trust the, 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 you know, the other thing that, that bugs me a little bit is 
the way they look at data from COVID and from the vaccine. So with COVID, and, and it's understandable why they do it. I understand the public health authorities' point of view, but when you're trying to aggregate data and get a sense of how dangerous the the, the virus is, you know, you if COVID is mentioned on a death certificate, even as a contributing factor or whatever, someone's positive. You know, we know in Ontario, for example, um, people that died from car accidents were counted as COVID deaths in some cases. Now, I understand why that is. It's like you're trying to find a rough picture of how bad this pandemic is. And so, you know, rather than sifting through each individual death certificate and spending man hours trying to get an accurate number and figure out cause of death, you're just going to pick every death certificate that has COVID listed on it as that was the cause of death. Right. But now on the flip side with the vaccine, you know, like the the case you mentioned where someone 24 hours after getting vaccinated, that's not going to be counted as a vaccine death. Now, if it were counted, like they count COVID deaths, you know, let's say the first week or whenever you would expect the most adverse reactions to happen, you would say, uh, okay, any medical condition that happens, you know, within a week, if a person dies, we're counting that death as a vaccine death. So it's difficult to compare apple, making apples to apples comparison here. Uh, we just, you know, so I can understand some of the anti-vax points about how we don't really know very accurately the data from vaccine injuries and different things like that. Yeah. Um, trying to remember where I was going with this, but yeah, I, I guess my point is that, you know, at a certain point, I want to reserve the right not to, um, not to get the vaccine. And I'm wondering if there's a point like that for yeah. you. I don't, I, and, and that's a good, I don't know. I hadn't, uh, you know, I think I, I sometimes I think of, uh, and I, I, I've done a, a, a little bit of reading, uh, not a lot. Uh, it's been very surface, um, you know, no recognized, you know, kind of literature from any kind of, you know, uh, approved authors on smallpox. Um, because when I started to explore this idea of choice a little bit, especially around, you know, pandemics, I kind of went back and I thought about those first folks back, uh, apparently it was in China in around like the 13 or the 1400s, um, who saw the connection between those pustules on the, you know, on the cow, uh, on the udder of the cow and uh, smallpox. And somehow they they recognized, I don't know what it was that they did, but somehow somebody made a connection. They're like, you know, it, it, maybe it's after I've, I've milked the cow. You know, it, it's funny how everybody who milks the cow, they don't get smallpox. Why is that? Right, like right, there's, right. So somebody made a connection somewhere. But then when they made that connection, they're like, well, how do we, how do we use this? And so what they used to do in China was that they would take a scab of the pustule, the off of the the cow's udder, and they would blow it up your nose. And so then you'd get sick and then you'd be immune from smallpox. And I just think about those early first people. And I'm like, man, if they didn't have the courage to be like, let me get this straight. You're going to blow a scab off of a cow's udder up my nose and that's going to help me not get smallpox okay Uh, you know so uh, i don't know but but these people were it seems strikes me that they're they're making decisions about their own personal health right they're they're looking at they're they're making a risk assessment they're looking at how how dangerous smallpox is 
right you know, like how the hell can i stop from dying from this thing but like, it was still and, 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 but there still had to be a community focus back there though tip because you know community was i mean there, that was everything you had to support and have a strong community if you didn't then sure. some mongolian horde would come down and you yeah, know yeah. and decimate well, you you had to be a strong community and so maybe well, our, but wait a sec are, are do you do you think that their motivation for taking that was um community or or self-preservation why well, couldn't it be both well i, I agree I, I think that self-preservation serves the community when it comes well, to yeah I mean, right? it, well but that's exactly it i mean in order for me to continue working in order for me to continue to guard against the mongolian horde coming i have to be healthy and strong you're telling me mm-hmm. if i do this i'm going to remain healthy and strong which is going to support the community so right. go ahead blow it up my nose yeah, I, you yeah. know and I, well, so I, I don't and, and, you know, I'm trying to answer your question and I'm not doing a great job. And it's because I think I just don't know, because I, yeah. I think about, I try and think about that big history thing about this, you know, this idea of community and what is in the best interest of community, what is in the best interest of society and do my needs, does my need for uh, choice and being right, does that outweigh the needs for the community or the needs for society? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's go back with this smallpox thing a little bit, because I remember before they started using cowpox to inoculate against smallpox, they actually used smallpox to inoculate against smallpox. Right now that was a dangerous inoculation and there a good, good portion of the people that, that inoculated themselves with smallpox uh, died because, you know, so I think that the theory was that they'd get a small enough viral load. So they'd prick a smallpox person's pustule and then they, they'd, prick someone um they wanted to inoculate with the same needle basically to introduce a, a small amount of smallpox and hopefully just get a localized uh little infection that your body could easily fight off and then build up immunity um obviously a lot of people died but i think you know i'm guessing that the primary driving factor uh behind that was the individual making a risk calculation about themselves like do i want to risk smallpox or this vaccine and they looked at the inoculation as a lower risk than smallpox and they rolled the dice on the, on it mm-hmm. um you know i i think um again maybe some people said you know what i'm gonna get this for the good of the community um maybe that was their their thinking um i i don't know but i, I think where i get a little bit um, concerned is let's use that smallpox example when the government says, okay, the whole community is going to have to get this or be ostracized from the community. And we're willing to accept a 20% death rate here for this inoculation for the good of the community. I'm not sure that um, a, that is necessarily helpful for the community and B it certainly isn't helpful for the individual. And so when I, when I go back, when I think about this individual collective um, thing, you know, I, I think one of the paradoxes of Western civilization that has created all this flourishing, all this wealth, all this health um, has been the recognition that the sacrosanct uh, unit of, of society, of community is the individual and that respecting individual rights uh, 
paradoxically is collectively a good thing. I mean, it, it actually creates more wealth. I mean, this, this is why, oh, you know, as Steven Pinker has pointed out, over a billion people in the last ten, last decade, have been lifted out of uh, poverty worldwide. Um, it's been the respect for the individual rather than this kind of top-down um, collective uh, control, I guess. It, it, it's rule in the name of the collective, right? So. Um, I think that's the fundamental insight of, of Western civilization. So that's where I get a little bit leery about, you know, I, I certainly respect people who make decisions and sacrifice themselves, let's say to some degree for the community. I mean, I, I'm in a, the line of work where I've taken on that as a duty, I will run into a burning building yeah. and I will risk my life and health to protect my community. There's something noble about that. I like that. Yeah, I don't no, expect yeah. everyone to do that. Um, yeah. But, um, but if I would, would have a problem if the government came along and said, Tim, you must run into buildings. That is your job. This is we're, if you don't, we're going to remove from you your ability to be a part of this community and be um, and make a livelihood and everything else. Right. So yeah. that to me is the difference. It's, it's force and coercion versus, people making being free to make the choice. And here's where, where I think we would have some agreement. I don't have the right to walk around with COVID-19 in public. I don't have the right to go into work being contagious. I don't have the right to, um, to infect other people with the virus. And I have no problem with other people using coercion to keep me out of the public, to keep me out of um, grocery stores, movie theaters, workplaces, whatever, to prevent me from spreading the contagion. All I ask is that they have some uh, some evidence behind that. I mean, usually before we remove someone's freedom, we have some uh, reasonable cause, right? Symptoms, um, a test, something that, sh- that leads us to believe that there's contagion. And, and I don't think simply being unvaccinated rises to that. Uh, most unvaccinated people aren't contagious with COVID-19. Uh, and, and also vaccination status, doesn't uh, doesn't mean that I can walk around with COVID-19 in public either, right? So vaccination status to me is is irrelevant. What matters is, are you contagious with COVID-19? And in that case, certainly we can remove your choice. Certainly you don't have the choice to infect other people. That is crossing the line. So, um, Well, but again, I go back to it. that whole sense of community, though. I mean, I think part of the reason, you know, and you kind of mentioned earlier on, you know, you just said that, you know, some of this work that you know that the social distancing the hand washing the mask wearing and the, you know and the lockdowns have worked in help i mean it, it's and that's the problem though you know is that if, if we didn't have to do a lockdown like if yeah. if we did a lockdown and and it you know the disease kept running rampant okay we should not do lockdowns it's not working right. but we've shown that if we do uh, a lockdown the disease like the hospitals stop right. filling well, so I, so I, I don't know. I don't know about that, Pete. I mean, I, I've looked at if you look at the charts and compare uh, places, you know, neighboring counties, neighboring jurisdictions, and some have done lockdowns and some have let things buck. Um, there doesn't seem to be that much difference in in outcomes. It seems like this virus uh, doesn't care one whit about public health um, implementation. It's, it seems to, to run rampant when it wants to run rampant, regardless of lockdown or no lockdown. So I'm not hundred percent sure of that. And the other thing I, I would say to that is 
you know, public health authorities, um, and I put myself in their shoes, their primary concern is stopping the spread of COVID. And so all their, all of their implementation, all of their recommendations has to do with stopping the spread. But, you know, there's more to life than just viral avoidance. And so what will be interesting for me to see, and I I suspect it'll take years, you know, uh, to, to figure this out is what is the excess mortality and death rate of public health measures that infringe on individual liberty? We don't know that the answer to that yet, but I suspect we will in the future. There, there'll be a way of answering that. You know, uh, Sweden might be the control. Like, let's look at the excess mortality there during the pandemic versus other places. Or, yeah, you know, really I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You, you could probably find some controls and and then see. But I don't think it's that that there there is no price to pay in terms of health and mortality uh, when you start implementing public health measures. You might be, they, even if they're good at stopping the spread of the virus, um, things like opioid ad- addiction from, you know, emergencies of isolation, uh, people forgetting how to operate. I don't know about you, but I'm noticing a, a huge surge in call volume that has nothing to do with COVID. And, it, it, you know, it would be interesting someday to see if scholarship relates this to um people having been isolated and locked down over the last year and a half or, or having restrictions put on them at least um, and whether, how that contributes to it, how, how does masking kids contribute to their health and, and longevity? You know, hey, all these hey. things are unknown, but yet we are applying them as if the only thing that matters in life is stopping the spread of the virus. Well, could you imagine being a sociology or an anthropology student right now? Like you could sit back and be like, I could write 500 you know, PhD uh, worthy articles now on how society is coping with this. And I mean, good Lord, it's like shooting fish in a barrel when you're, yeah. if you're a sociology or an anthropology student to, to go through and try and understand how society, you know, what, what happened uh, during this time. And I agree with you. I, I think, you know, they're going to work. There's so many people who are just not coping uh, at all. Uh, and it's, it's really sad, but I mean, it goes back to this sense of community and this idea of community. And I think that's where society has got a real problem right now. And I thought that before COVID, um, right. you know, there's too much, uh, there's too much Facebook <laughs> there's yeah, too yeah, many yeah. Universe, uh, and not enough, uh, this kind of, uh, 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 thing happening. And, yeah. you know, so I think that's where, people are getting lonely. Yeah, people are, they don't have connection. They don't have human connection anymore. There's not, you know, that strong sense of community. And I think you've, I, it'd be really curious again, as a sociology student to go out and, and to find people who, you know, struggled with their mental health uh, and to see what was their community support? Like, did they have a lot mm-hmm. of friends Did they have, right. you know, could they go to work? Like, are you and I, coping better with this because you and I get to go to work every day or well, yeah. when we go to work, you know? And so we have yeah. community there good or bad. It's still, we're going right. in and, and we're, and we're hanging out with people. The guy who has to stay at home in his office and his condo. I mean, that's gotta be tough. So what is that? Where, where is that community for that person or that support? Right. The small um, business owner. Yeah. yeah like, uh, yeah. Oh, dude. and, and, and that, I mean, that's a good point too, right? I mean, you know, these people (laughs) whose livelihoods are being threatened aren't uh, 
aren't being viewed as part of the community, right? They, they are, they're being ostracized from the community and that's not likely to endear them to the community and and help them think more community minded. Like if our goal is to get people to be more community minded and more willing to make sacrifices for their community, um, it it seems like this is the exact wrong way to go about it. If anything, you're entrenching them as being adversaries to the community and they're going to embody that. Um, I, I, I agree. And I go back to leadership. Right. Um, yeah. And sometimes, too, I think I go back to the voter, uh, you know, like people continually voted for the same governments year after year, election after election. And, you know, so what you saw was an erosion of this idea of the public health department, you know, the very people who could have been more prepared, uh, been more capable of uh, of responding to this. I mean, they've been undermined uh you know for probably generations uh you know since since the last pandemic you know that was really viewed as being a problem as soon as that waned they were like wow we don't need to give money to public health anymore Uh, really what's the big deal Uh, so i think that you know that that's made this worse as as well you know you've got you've got leaders who are just interested in being popular and in supporting and in making sure their base uh, feel, uh, you know, uh, connect, connected to their base. Uh, and then you've got maybe a public health system or a public health department that's, it's, it's a skeleton, you know, like you got some researchers in there who, you know, sit in a basement <laughs> doing their best to try and keep the public health system going. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you've got to make some real legitimate like Churchillian, uh, you know, kind of decisions on how society is going to move forward. And you're getting it from a department that's doing its best. And I think that, you know, in a, and there's more nuance to that, but I think that in part has led us to where we're at uh, because now you've literally, you don't have the capacity for nuance. You don't have the capacity to look at all the different things and say, okay, we can handle this. You basically have to, do this and say, okay, well, you people over there, you people over there, and what's going to be best to make the economy work here? And we think it's going to be supporting the vaccinated, you know, um, I just, but quickly, Tim, I just wanted to say that bit about, you know, how the lockdowns may or may not have worked. And I think there's just, uh, I remember reading uh, Neil Turek, he's a physicist in Canada here, and he talked about how scientists and the research committee or community have failed society. And they fail society because they've made research and science so technical that the average Joe can't really just sit down and be like, oh, I get that. Like it's like when you look at some of those, you know, quantum uh, physics uh, equations, like you are literally, I could be looking at Chinese and I wouldn't know the difference. And so it's, I'm so disconnected from this idea that I, I really have to trust that these researchers are doing the right thing and that, and I have to trust what they're doing. And then there's this whole idea of really understanding research. Research is so nuanced. It is so detailed on if you're going to put out a decent research paper, there is a reason it goes through a group of your mentors to make sure that it's, that it's, that it's good research because they all know what to look for and see where you're going to make your mistakes before you put it out there. And that's why peer review is so much more important. And, and you can't take a specific example and apply it to a general, that's not how research works. Research takes a general concept and makes it and, and, and narrows it down to a specific. 
and it's that weight of balance. So, you know, the, 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 where does the research lie? Like research isn't always going to say that the vaccine is hundred percent. It's not going to say that because it's not, it may be sure. like 70, 30 or 80, sure. 20, I would hope. So, yeah, but you know. don't you think this is, uh, this is, this really isn't about science per se. I mean, this is really about values. And what I see here are two competing value systems. Like two, two people can look at the same scientific fact. Let's say the, the case fatality rate of COVID-19 is 5%. And on one side, you'll say, well, this justifies, uh, you know, lockdowns or like, you know, maybe, maybe the, like science shows that the, the most effective way of stopping the spread of COVID is sealing everyone in hermetically sealed matrix pods and just feeding them a steady stream of, of government controlled propaganda or something like that. Uh, and and some people beautiful. say, well, that's if that's what if that's what we got to do to stop the spread, that's what we got to do. That's what science said. But other people might value liberty more than they value um, stopping the spread of COVID or something like that. And those people would look at that that five percent and say, well, that in no way justifies uh, any infringement on liberty or something like that. And so, to me, w- what what's happening here is um, it, it's really a debate of values, and it's being framed as a scientific debate. Um, we can agree on scientific facts, uh, and I think you and I would may well agree on on the scientific facts. Um, but we might have where our disagreement might lie is on the values and how we how we then apply those scientific facts. So, for example, let let me just say this: um, if I'm if you know at the start of COVID, I'm I'm looking at images coming from China, people bodies lying in the street, all, all this stuff, going like, holy crap, this might be super serious, and I might yeah. have to consider whether I stay employed as a paramedic. Do I want to be on the front line of this serious thing? Right? Yeah. Like yeah, like I, cool. I have to make a risk assessment here yeah. of and and the risks some weighing are my risk of unemployment and my risk of getting seriously sick or dead from COVID, yeah. right? And so that's a choice that only I can make. Like there's no scientific answer or or scientific number. Uh, Like I can look at the facts and say, okay, this, this is the risk of COVID to me and my age group and stuff like that. And this is my risk of unemployment and make that, that decision for myself, given my individual context. But I certainly can't make that decision for you uh, and and whether it's right for you or someone else down the road. I mean, these facts are, are, good for me to inform inform myself and make a risk assessment, but they're not necessarily good to impose a one size fits all solution on society or something like that. And, and this is where the values debate comes in. I think. No. And, and I think you're right. And that's why I tried to bring in that whole science community and that disconnection, because I think people are so disconnected from it that right. they, because what's happening is that research is driving the decision-making at least that's what it should, it should be. Right. It isn't. Yes. <laughs> we know that, but but that's what it should be. But I think there's such a disconnect that people have a hard time, you know, uh, you know, when the when the and and again, it's because the research isn't always going to be a hundred percent. There's always right. going to be a peer-reviewed, very you know, uh, well-done uh, research article that's going to come out that's going to say that the vaccine might not be as good as we wanted it to believe that that's going to happen. Well, I'll go further and I'll I'll say there should be more documents that come out that say the vaccine is good. And that's that whole balance thing that happens. And just quickly, Mm -hmm. if we are going to live in a hermetically sealed uh, (laughs) uh, uh, where I'm fed uh, uh, government propaganda, 
That's where I draw the line. Too. <laughs> All right. We, found it. It. we found it. I, I, I would fight back then. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, let me say this. Here, here's where I think some of the disconnect with the science is coming in. Um, you know, and I see this a little bit on both sides, right? So w- when the pandemic started, um, the, the, the media would put out things, oh, yeah. it would put out all sorts of anecdotes about kids getting Kawasaki disease and kids like, we got to do this for the kids. Right. Um, and, 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 People looking at this skeptically said, well, look, anecdotes yeah. don't make science, right? Let's see some data. Now I see the same thing happening on the other side where we're, we're seeing all these anecdotes of people dying from supposedly the vaccine, right? And, and you know, confirmation bias on both sides here, right? You're going to look for, if, if you're really concerned about COVID, you're going to look for all those things that confirm that bias. And, and pretty soon COVID is going to be the most dangerous thing ever. And we got, we got to like impose on me, daddy, like whatever it takes, save me from this thing. And on the flip side, this vaccine is the most dangerous thing ever. And how dare you even ask me to do this kind of thing. Um, and, and the disconnect here is so, so the disconnect from my perspective is the highly polarized politicization of, of, covid and the pandemic yeah. and all these things right and and like yeah. thinking binarily like putting each putting people are you in this camp or this camp those are the two camps you're yeah. either an anti-vax nutter or a draconian lockdown measure supporting yeah. blah 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 right yeah. Yeah. um and uh and so now we've now you could produce all the high quality science you want and mounds and mounds of it you're gonna have a hard time reaching people who have yeah. um who have been ostracized and who have been demonized and who have been under this thing and and forced into their, their, um, their own little bubble of confirmation bias. Um, And, and it's, I think it's like that to some degree on both sides of the thing. So that's, that's the challenge I think that we have to uh, have to address. And Pete, I think that you and I have started to address that challenge by having a constructive uh, dialogue here today. So uh, unless there's anything else, I think that might be a good place to to end it. I, I would, you know, and I'll just end on it just saying I agree with you. I mean, I think we both agree about the media. I think the yeah. media is just, you know, and, and you summed it up nicely. So I'll just, no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, here, Tim. And uh, we just need to have more of this with more yes. people. Uh, and uh, I think it's uh, incumbent upon those of us uh, like you and I, to reach out to those who are maybe feeling ostracized and try and, and just listen and just yeah. try and understand and, you know, hope that we can, yeah, just support them and, and uh, find a way out of this mess. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. This can't end soon enough. I will agree with you on that. So yeah, uh, awesome. Thanks Pete. Appreciate okay. you coming on the Liberty experts today. Thanks Tim.